when the chitta or mind becomes quiet, then the body can be seen as just a body, as a form composed of elements and not as the self that we take it to be. As this knowledge comes forth with increasing clarity and the mind grows quieter and brighter, then the one who knows, the knowing quality, becomes more distinct in the mind as well. When this happens, we should make sure not to attach even to this knowing quality as a self. When this knowing quality arises, then the mind will naturally separate out from the mental impressions which it encounters. And with this separation comes the ability to keep the mind quiet, even in the midst of activity and of thought. We, we might have thought coming into the mind and going out, but because there's this small distance between the one who knows the mind and the content of the mind, then even this motion doesn't disturb the chitta or the mind. Longpur Cha spoke of this condition by using the analogy of still flowing water. He would ask, do you know what still water looks like? Do you know what moving water, flowing water looks like? How about still flowing water? Can you understand this? And this, he said, this image of still flowing water embodies the nature of the mind that is calm. The nature of the mind that is calm separates between the mental aramana or impressions and the mind itself. And the chitta becomes separate from all the things that it is attached to. And with the separation, it enters onto the path to, to wisdom. This is the path towards soti, sotapanna or stream entry towards awakening. And it's composed or spoken of frequently as the three aggregates of sila, samadhi, and panya, or ethics, concentration, and wisdom. As we develop these paths, then we steadily give up defilement and begin to see Dhamma in every aspect of our lives. When the body becomes ill and experiences discomfort and pain, then we see that this is just the nature of the body. And similarly, we begin to understand that the five hindrances of sensual desire, aversion, sloth and torpor, restlessness and doubt are illnesses of the chitta or the mind as well and keep it sick. Longpur Cha frequently would reference doubt, for example, as one of the hindrances and how when doubt arises in the mind, then 
it becomes restless and won't stop moving. We grow skeptical of the path of practice. We're unsure about how to proceed. And when doubt arises, the remedy, Longpur Cha said, is to just know doubt as one more mental impression, rising, staying, and passing away. And this is the remedy we can use for all of the hindrances in some uh, measure. If the mind doesn't maintain mindfulness, sati, with the arising of the hindrance and rather follows it, then with doubt, for example, it spins off and gets lost. To pass through these hindrances, uh, a useful tool is to return to our parikama, our mental meditation object. So, for example, the meditation word budo, by returning to this object when a hindrance arises, specifically doubt in this case, will allow the mind to again grow calm and to not engage with or get lost in the hindrance. And over time, little by little, as we return again and again to our meditation object, the hindrances will subside. This is the direct path. This is the correct way to practice. The parikama controls and steadies the chitta. When we begin to experience samadhi or lucid calm, then we can feel it in different ways. Uh, a quietness and serenity take over the mind. Uh, we frequently can experience the impression of light arising. And sati or mindfulness becomes continuous. As the mind gains power in this way, we turn it to contemplate the external sankhara or the body. We see that this body and in fact all rupa or forms around us are in fact just elements, the four elements of nature, earth, water, air, and fire. They're composed of just these uh, qualities, these, these elements, solidity, liquidity, movement, heat, and that it is only the chitta or the mind that proliferates and builds on them, creating uh, structures, creating uh, different things around us. For example, designating the building we are sitting in as just that, a building, rather than what it is at its most basic level, which is just these elements. The chitta similarly proliferates and attributes qualities to these external objects, such as beauty, ugliness, and it gets lost in them in this way. But all this is just in the mind. When the chitta is impacted by a mental impression or uh, contact, then feeling arises. So we can contemplate convention in this way, seeing that outside forms 
are all convention, uh, all simply creations of our mind and its proliferations. And when it sees this clearly, then it also sees that at their most basic, all of the external objects it encounters are characterized by the three uh, characteristics of existence, anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanence, suffering, and not self. And this is the way of contemplating that leads to wisdom's arising. We must cultivate this formal practice, not just to bring to culmination this wisdom, but also as a daily way of feeding and nourishing the chitta, the mind. Quiet or samadhi is food for the heart. And just as we take in food for the body every day, so we must feed our minds through bringing uh, them in the practice to some measure of calm. The four requisites for all of us here at the monastery, medicine, food, a resting place, clothes, are all ready and adequate. What we yet lack is a refuge and a home for the mind itself. We have this sala to sit in, this building, this meditation hall to meditate in and live in, but our hearts don't yet have their own refuge where they are safe. And this is what we practice to cultivate. This is what we're aiming towards. Longpur Cha asked sometimes if we knew the path to practice and referenced the different levels of practice, how one might achieve a level of quietude, uh, samadhi, and that this is one level of practice, but that even one with a degree of samadhi can still not be well acquainted with the wisdom, uh, the mind imbued with wisdom, namely the chitta that is able to let go. And this is our potential as human beings, as practitioners, to cultivate this transcendent wisdom. We do it through the simple act of every day restraining ourselves from running after and getting lost in mental impressions by keeping a level of control and focus to continue to walk this path, the noble path. And the path is also characterized by our way of relating to the six sense bases, the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, mental impressions, and bodily impressions. We see that all of these sense impressions come and go, and that if the chitta, the mind attaches to them, gets lost in them, then it leads immediately to suffering. It proliferates pleasure 
and pain around each, and there's no end to it. However, if we separate out the mind and the knowing from these mental impressions of the sense bases, then the chitta will not grow attached. It will learn to let go and it will reach an end of suffering. Emptiness or voidness will arise in its, or, or be there in its place. And this emptiness or voidness is nibbana. It's a state or a word that denotes a complete lack of attaching, of attachment, a complete letting go. And Longpur Cha reflected on this, that if we attach at all to the things around us, then we are not yet uh, an enlightened being. But that we should cultivate this path towards this supreme state by little by little letting go of the things that our mind and hearts attach to and get lost in. And that as we do this, our suffering will also diminish little by little and we'll be able to see truth more and more clearly. We might ask ourselves why our wisdom has not yet reached this pitch. It's because the samadhi or lucid calm we've managed to cultivate in our practice yet lacks the strength to provide the basis for this wisdom. Only with a strong degree of samadhi or the firmly established heart will the mind grow quiet enough to see clearly the nature of this body, this form, and see it also as anicca, anatta, and dukkha, letting it go. And if we remain, remain in the cycle of rebirth, then we can expect to once again be born into a body or form of some kind, whether coarse or refined. This cycle continues. It's not just in the human realm that one takes on a body. Rather, even in the heavenly realms, beings possess a fine material form of some kind, they also are bound by sankharas and come to possess a conditioned form as well. Only what the Buddha called the asankata element, the unconditioned element, is free from the constraints of Sankhara, and this is Nibbana, the unproliferated. It exists, but we can't point to it or say what direction it's in. 
its emptiness or voidness. And because it has the nature of emptiness, there's no means by which we can designate it, qualify it, or speak in any detail about it. It has no color, but it exists. And not only that, but it is permanent. Yet it causes no, it has within it no cause for proliferation. So this is our practice to make the mind quiet and then contemplate rupa and nama, namely form and name. And that as we do this, the nature of both become clear. We see that all of the forms around us, all of the external trappings of our world, including our own bodies, are just composed of the elements and arise according to nature. Plants take in nutrients from the earth and sunlight and energy help them metabolize these grow, flower, fruit, develop, sustain the animals around them. And then these same animals, including us, eventually pass away as well. Their bodies decay, develop uh, bacteria, and eventually dissipate back into those same elements. Earth follows earth, water, water, wind, goes back into wind and the fire or heat element dissipates back into the heat of the world. In the end, we come back to where we were and this is a cycle of life. We can look at this and as we do, we gain wisdom. <laughs>